Hello and welcome to Splatter Chatter, where October never dies. I am one of your hosts, Ms. Malmoy. I'm the other host, Mr. Craigers. And tonight on our 88th episode, we are doing a director deep dive into the filmography, bibliography, resume, CV of Mr. James Wan. It's very exciting. Very exciting. This is our first director deep dive. Yeah, we talked about doing them and we were like, you know what? Yeah. We're doing it. I, uh, yeah. We watched no. The Conjuring and I was like, I want to rewatch all The Conjurings and all The Insidiouses and just here we are. Yeah. yeah. James Boy. Yeah, well, you know, and it is interesting because he has two of the top 10 grossing franchises of all time. And he's got a third in the top 25, so. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, it's pretty prolific. And also, it's interesting how prolific he is for somebody who hasn't, like, actually directed and written a ton of movies. Like, it's just the ones he's done and the franchises he's created have been very, um... Yeah, he's, he's like, big on, I'm going to do the first two installments and then, like, the rest <laughs> of you take it from here. And just tack me on there in the list of 15 executive producers. And Yeah, he's, like, the king of that strategy. And it's clearly working quite well for him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're going to talk, uh, we're going to go through a bit of his, his filmography, talk about our favorites, talk about some of the things that didn't work so well, brush over some of his... Um, you know, not not even horror adjacent. He just sometimes does stuff straight, not at all horror. But yeah, because he's also that kind of interesting example that used to be like an, an older model of someone who starts in horror and then moves on to um, like more mainstream blockbustery mm-hmm. type of things. Yeah, um, but he's doubly interesting because he's doing that but also dipping back into horror right. which usually it only goes one way um, yeah well and he said too i mean we can get into this but he he has a quote where he talks about being like he's like i want to make action movies i want to make romantic comedies like i just want to make movies so um yeah and that's what he's doing i mean he's good to make a romantic comedy but could you imagine jamie Wan makes a romantic comedy <laughs> i have i truly have no idea what that would look like but i would watch the hell out of it right um the third act it's just like a, a gunfight breaks out or something or... Yeah. in like a really creepy like abandoned <laughs> suddenly they're in like a graveyard something. yeah like, up until now they've been like like in a in a lovely seaside town in like yeah um so that's that, but before we get into to all that good stuff, um, what, are, what have you been up to, Mr. Craigers, when it comes to, to horror shit? Um, so I feel like I've been doing a lot of re-watching lately. Mm-hmm. Um, just when I'm like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not in the mood to watch like another episode of something. I kind of want to watch a movie, but I don't want to like, you know, use all the brain power for a new movie. So I've been just throwing on this and that or whatever. Um, some summary stuff. I Jaws and I know what you did last summer. Uh, well, we watched Jaws together, technically. Yeah. <laughs> Which was an accident. 
<laughs> it was, you know, I was like, Listen, it takes place on the 4th of July and we were hanging out on the 4th of July. It was supposed to be like a background thing that everyone just yeah. fully congregated around the TV. Fully just straight up watch Jaws. Yeah. Um, but I also, uh, as well, have also actually been watching some newer stuff too, um, including uh, Josh Rubin's new movie, Werewolves Within. Oh, yes. Right. You, you love yourself a werewolf. Oh, my God. I love myself a werewolf. It was so good and so clever and so funny and pretty creepy at parts. Um, so if you haven't checked that out, I highly recommend it. I also, if you haven't seen Josh Rubin's first movie, Scare Me, also check that out as well. I'm like, I'm totally on board now. Um, You're on the Josh Rubin wagon. I'm on the Josh Rubin wagon, riding it hard. Not, I'm not super into werewolves, but you know, if it's good, I'll, I have nothing against them. Well, here's, really... here's what I'll say. So it's, it's basically, it's basically like cl- a clue knives out type situation mm-hmm. with a werewolf maybe oh. the, yeah so there's there's sort the of like of your mind the story within the film of these characters and their quirky small like super cold ski town get stuck in the in the lodge the inn or whatever and start to suspect that some nasty goings on are the responsibility of a werewolf but the larger question that the audience also has to play along with is is there actually a werewolf or is it just a human being who's responsible for these crimes right interesting yeah really fun really clever sort of like the next step up from scare me like it's all sort of very claustrophobic and like locked roomish like scare Mm -hmm. me was just with a a larger cast of characters Interesting, Um, but quite enjoyable I also watched another uh, clever little movie called Vicious Fun. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, and it was Vicious Fun. I will tell you that. It was very enjoyable, but man, was it brutal. Um, It's a Shudder original, I believe. If it's not an original, it's it's on Shudder. And it's uh, set in the 80s or 90s. I can't remember. But it's about this guy who's kind of like hit a rut and he's a bit of a nerd he's a huge horror film buff he has a huge crush on his roommate but she doesn't like him back and basically he accidentally stumbles into um an aa support group style meeting for serial killers Uh uh (laughs) and tries to basically lie his way out of the situation by pretending that he is also a serial killer. But you can imagine how well that goes for him. And Mm. so he basically has to... uh, Serial kill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically like go full on Dexter to survive five serial killers coming after him in one night. Uh, Pretty funny, pretty, as the title suggests, pretty vicious, but... Clever. Interesting. Nice. Sounds like fun. It was. It was it was really fun. It's a very Sounds easy like vicious walk. fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um there's there were some some clever turns in there, uh storytelling wise. 
Um, and then, of course, uh, we've tweeted a little bit about it's it's been the new hot thing this month. Uh, the Fear Street trilogy. Mm -hmm. um, good stuff all around. Very excited that um, Lee Joniak wants to do more in that world. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess is in talks with Netflix to expand Fear Street, whatever that might look like. Um, yeah. 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 I too watch Fear Street. Um, yeah, it's fun. I have my, my opinions and everyone on Twitter has theirs. Um, Yo, the... <laughs> rankings because for, for some reason like they had to be ranked right are just absolute it is like the wild west it's out there funny too because well, people are getting really emotional about it too yeah but not about the movies about the rankings. about the rankings yeah nobody's <laughs> saying like nobody's like dying on the hill of this is good or this is bad yeah. it's this one, this this one third of this complete story is better than than this other third. Like it's yeah, it's so bizarre. It's interesting. Um, and I, you know, I got sucked into it just because I was like, all right, well, if we're doing this, then this is where I'm at in terms of my enjoyment level on each. Um, yeah. As you know, on Twitter, I I think we both put 1978 as our top. Yeah. Um, that was just too much fun for me. That's the one I see myself coming back to when I want to watch some sort of um, summertime camp slasher. Yeah. Um, it you liked happened. 1994 better than I did. I liked 1666. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is cliche and dumb yeah. at times, but also really fun at times. And the, the thing is, is that ultimately the whole thing, I think, is was pretty enjoyable. Yeah. And what I really like about it is that um, I think it's going to be gateway horror for a mm -hmm. lot of like, not super young kids. Cause it's pretty gory. It is but yeah, like meat slice or kill was like, yeah, that sticks with me. <laughs> but like some sort of like in between step, you know, mm -hmm. like after, your hocus pocuses and your coral lines and something or whatever, like between that and sort of more adult horror. Right. Fear Street being a really strong stepping stone for, I don't know, maybe like middle school kids, like really starting to explore the genre. Well, and what's interesting is I was thinking about this because one of the things that I've been doing is watching um, the Eli Roth History of Horror series, which I think is was technically on AMC, but it's on Shutter now. Like you can watch yeah. it. Um, and I was, you know, thinking about who they had on there as the talking heads and um, sort of what sort of horror they were talking about. And one thing I found interesting to think about is that, and I think I see this in my own friends who claim to not like horror, but then will list like five horror movies they enjoy. We're um, surrounded by a number of those people. Right. Well, so I was thinking about it and I was like, I think we've got this mentality that horror is all or nothing. Like, mm -hmm. if you like horror, then you have to like every different type of horror and be willing to watch every horror movie. And I don't think that's true. And I think we should like normalize being like, yeah, I'll watch meta horror and um, psychological horror, but I can't, you know, like, I don't want to do like supernatural horror that's scary. You know, like, I think um, yeah. 
that there's room for that sort of thing. And I think Fear Street is interesting thinking about it that way, because I think ultimately most of Fear Street is supposed to be fun. Like it's a very, it definitely takes a lot stylistically from Stranger Things. Obviously many of the cast was in Stranger Things. You know, it plays a lot with like um, nostalgic set pieces and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of campy stuff at times next to like- It's very campy. Up children being murdered. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so I, I fucking laughed out loud at the, these are spoilers, but the, the scene in 1666 where they're having like ye old beers in the woods. Oh my God, yeah. had the berries that were clearly supposed to be like gummies and stuff. Like, you know, like I I just think it's a good example of it, you know, it it had a lot of different types of horror in it. Like, you know, the serial killer, slasher type, supernatural stuff, um, possession stuff and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. Where it's like, you know, like you, you, you can say like, yeah, I like some horror. Like there are certain things I like. There are certain things that freak me out. Like for me, as we know, I can't do body horror. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you also are not really a person who tends to seek out zombie movies either. No, I was actually thinking about that because that was the first episode in that series was they talked about zombies mainly because it was like produced by AMC. So obviously they were like, we're just going to talk about The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, But no, I'm not a huge zombie, zombie movie person. Um, That's okay. That doesn't make you any less of a horror person. Right. And that's the thing is, is I feel like there's this mentality with people, both some people within the community and people outside of it being like, well, yeah, you have to have an opinion on all of like, you know, slow zombies, fast zombies, where it's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't. (laughs) Um, But no, I think Fear Street could be that for a lot of people, just because I was thinking, watching going through all three of them, it was like, oh yeah, like there's something here for everybody, like depending on what they like. Right, that's the thing. Yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like a um, a sampling of mm-hmm. some of the really big subgenres of horror that can sort of be like presented to someone who might be new to the genre and kind of be like, well, what do you like? What were your favorite parts of Fear Street? Was it the mm-hmm. slasher element? Was it the um, the occult witch kind of things? You know, what what was it? And then people can be like, oh, I really like this and I didn't like this and figure out what kinds of horror stories they're interested in. Right. Basically after just sort of sampling this one thing, which is kind of cool. Because yeah. um, it can be it can be risky when you um, sort of throw the whole kitchen sink into yeah well and that's one story i was thinking about in 1978 because i was like wow there's a lot of set pieces here there's a lot of mixed um overlapping plot lines like i don't know and i i feel that it it came together at the end like i was fine with it but i was just like wow like they're really like doing like we're gonna do it we're gonna fucking do it all (laughs) yeah um yeah which i appreciated um but yeah i i did that that's something I did. I finished my oh. Twin Peaks rewatch. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. we're done. You know, we got to that devastating last scene uh, where Laura Carey like screams or whatever. And I was like, now let me tell you what I think happened here. And then 45 minutes later, we went to bed. <laughs> right, exactly. Because that's not like, a, that's not going to be just a quick like. No, I was like, so on one level. But if we take it as an abstraction of, you know, you wheel um, out the whiteboard, <laughs> yeah, it, with the strings. Um, yeah. 
but did that um, working my way through, obviously the Eli Roth thing. I've got my nice little pile going right now, which I'll put a picture up on the, the Twitter of my um, books that I have earmarked for fall. Oh, and I'm really? telling myself not to read them before then. <laughs> You know, I'm having a major struggle right now. Maybe you can help weigh in on this mm-hmm. for me. Um, I went, I, I pre-ordered um, Grady Hendrix's new novel, Final Girl Support yeah. Group. Mm-hmm. So I, I have it and I don't know if I want to read it right now because I've been excited for it and now it's out and everybody's reading it. And HBO just announced today that they're adapting it into a series. Um, or if I want to wait and have it be a Halloween-y read. Right. So what do I do? I don't know. See, I'm having that similar thing because Chuck Wendig's new book comes out tomorrow and it's his first tomorrow as we're recording. That, yeah. Um, uh, the Book of Accidents. Yes. And it's his first one where he's like, no, I like sat down to write a horror novel because I know Wanders gets like put in horror sometimes, but he like considers most of his stuff like sci-fi, I think, before anything else. According to him, this is straight. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm obviously going to get it. But I feel like that's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, I should put it on my... Because the thing is, is I have so many that I usually start in September with this stuff like I don't wait till October because I won't get through it all because you won't finish Um, them by Halloween yeah so I don't know it's just we gotta I gotta just get basically one more month that's a good point maybe like I can maybe I need to sort of like follow your lead and maybe map out like okay what are the other like horror novels and stuff that I want to read in spooky time and Mm -hmm. see how many I have and if I have a lot I can read final girl support group now Mm mm-hmm and if I'm like, oh, I, I had only like was gonna set aside whatever three, then yeah, I can push it back. These are the days of our lives, and these are the struggles. There you are. And if um, you have an opinion, sound off. Um, the only other things I want to throw out there that I've got going for me, and this is a good preview for our next episode, is I am going to see Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. On 35 millimeter. That's right. Oh, on 30. You didn't say it was on 35 millimeter. Mm-hmm. It's on 35 oh. millimeter at the Colonial Theater, which is famous for the theater featured in the That's Blob. The theater from the Blob. The Blob. Um, and what's her nuts? The famous sequence in the Blob. Yes. Well, they do that every fucking summer. You're like, oh, let's go to Phoenixville. And you're like, it's Blob Fest. We can't go to Phoenixville because people will be in the street and you will hit them with your car. Just kidding. They like close the street, but you never know. People, people, well, like, crazy. Um, but yeah, it's the theater from the blob. It's the theater that they run out of and they do all that shit. I've never done blob fest. Maybe I will one day. Um, it's just so hot in the summer <laughs> to be yeah. in a theater and then run outside. But, um, the Lauren, uh, who plays Vicky, whose name is escaping me, Lauren, something hyphenated last name who plays Vicky in Friday the 13th part two will be there for a Q and a and a signing. That's so cool. Yeah. So very excited seeing that on August 6th for the fright night for that month, they do a fright night every month. And the one in September that I just got tickets for is Blair witch. Nice. Nice. I'm surprised that they're not doing it on the 13th. (laughs) (laughs) You know? It is weird. Do they know? 
I didn't even I, think about that. There's a Friday. The th- of course, the, that is. That yeah, is- there is because that's why our next episode is going to be what it is. I think they do. I think it's because they do it the first Friday of the month. Mm. Is the fright night one day, and it just you think you could make an exception though? That would be you whatever. Think, right? At least <laughs> that is weird now that I think about it. But because <laughs> the next one is um, no, because the next yeah, the next one's the tenth the Blair Witch yeah but that's not the first Friday of September I have no idea I will ask well oh no yeah that wouldn't be that wouldn't be the first Friday of September who fucked this but maybe that's they want to avoid the third because that's Labor Day weekend I have no idea I did not think about that that up and now it's boggling my mind what we're doing basically is we're proposing to this (laughs) theater that they need to completely redo their schedule feel free to reach out to us we'll do that for you yeah anyway doing that it's very exciting um Um, that is exciting and I love part two yeah it's so apparently it's like the anniversary you know what I think it's hold on wait let me do oh is it the actual anniversary I think it might be the actual anniversary and that's why they're doing it let's find out if i'm right no it was released in may i know it is like the 30th well, and it did come out in 81 so yeah it's like the, the so it's some anniversary because they're giving out special posters for it yeah but it came out in may so it still doesn't okay. so we've actually already hit the anniversary for it yeah, I want to say it is the 40th anniversary, if I'm doing math correctly. Um, yeah, this is the 40th anniversary of Friday the 13th yeah. part. So anyway, doing all that, summer, good, you know, and I still got to do my yearly watch of Children of the Corn, um, <laughs> which we know I love as a good summer, a good summer watch. But yeah, that's what I'm up to. Well, there's still plenty of summer left. Unfortunately. <laughs> I shouldn't say unfortunately because come January I'm going to be pissed off and miserable but right now I'm just like I will never not be sweaty ever again. Yeah it's been a hot summer for sure. But, um, I don't know. I'm headed to the beach next week. Oh that's right. You And then I, f- I feel like after that you know because then it'll be August mm-hmm. and as things start winding down and moving towards labor day i am really going to start feeling that itch for yeah. fall that's and you're time. like it's it's august 31st and i'm like but do you have the pumpkin beers in yet <laughs> right so um, yeah yeah that's what i keep trying to tell myself is this week and then next week i've got a little bit of a staycation because i have to house it um so I'll have that going for me. And then got a wedding in August. And then by the time the wedding's done, it's basically September. So yeah. So then it'll be like, it, it'll be time before we know it for yeah. the best time. of year. Fear not, shatterers. Fear not. We shall make it. We shall make it. But in the meantime, let's talk about a guy who did make it. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. James... One. So first of all, I guess my, just to kick us off, what is the first thing? What is the first, like you hear James Wan, what is the movie that comes to mind for you? Honestly, for me, um, it is, and probably always will be Saw. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because I, I was obsessed with that movie, Mm -hmm. really the whole franchise. Um, in like middle and high school and 
the first, I would solidly say at least the first two, I, I still consider like major, major personal favorites. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, I think I'm always gonna go to that first for him, mm-hmm. even though he's done so much since and um, has probably, arguably, maybe even objectively made better um, movies, more influential movies, or at least more successful movies mm-hmm. um, than Saw. But it, yeah, I will always think of Saw first. Okay. How about you? I think for me, and this is because it's tied so viscerally to a memory, for me, it's insidious. Mm. Um, mainly because when I, was a, when I was in high school, like Saw was the kind of thing I was afraid to see. Because as you know, like I'm not a huge, you know, torture porn goes into body horror, which the first saw wasn't really quite what they ended up becoming. Right. Um, but yeah, but like by the time we were in high school and they were churning them out every year. Yeah. They were, some really nasty stuff is happening to bodies. <laughs> yeah. Like people would talk about like, oh yeah, and saw whatever this would, you know, like somebody got killed this way and stuff like that. But Insidious is interesting because... The first time I saw Insidious, I was at a friend's house. This was also in high school. I don't remember which year in high school. Um, but I was over in 2010. So you would have been basically a senior. Almost a senior, if not yeah. already. Yeah. So later in high school, I was over at a friend's house. Um, and they had like a finished basement with like a really nice like projector situation. Sure. And there was like... 10 of us I think we were sleeping not 10 of us there was a lot of us though and all of us were basically sleeping over at this friend's house yeah and we were like obviously we're gonna watch a scary movie Um, so we watched we put on I don't know how we ended up putting on insidious but it ended up being insidious and I just remember like sitting in the basement and like you know it's 10 o'clock at night at this point and like the fucking Darth Maul face guy comes on the, the screen <laughs> <laughs> and I was yeah. just like oh my god this is gonna be a long night you know because you're sleeping in some person's basement and you know and uh it's just you know it, it really you know and I'd be like you know like that was one of those things where I was like I just can't look at this because it's like too like, you know, obviously later, like I love Insidious now, but at the time I was like, this is like being in somebody's nightmare, like visually. Yeah. Um, and that particular moment is one of the most well-executed scares in the last, I'd say 20 years, easy. Yeah. No, it was just every, that, the fucking song. Yeah. That, for some reason, I think it reminds me of like a song from Spongebob. Like, do you know which one yes. I'm talking about? I think it's, is it the same I song? Think it's the same song. That's horrible. So it's yeah. that song, that bit where that plays and then that stops. Yeah. 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 I forget what episode in SpongeBob it's in, but it's also in SpongeBob. It's definitely on SpongeBob, which um, is now never the same. Yeah. Um, and then the the final sequence where he's like going through the further and like yeah. just the way all that plays out just totally totally terrifying and then they ended the the classic trick ending all the of trick it ending um but yeah so Ugh. yeah james wan um so yeah. not gonna get into too much biographical information he's 44 years old born 1977 in malaysia um 
is of Chinese descent, moved to Australia when he was a child and has basically lived there, studied there um, ever since. Yeah. Um, Famously in high school, he became friends with fellow filmmaker uh, and screenwriter Lee Wanell. (laughs) His buddy. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Lee Wanell. Lee Wanell, yeah, he is. Um, He... I mean, he's been involved in other things past Saw because he. Oh, totally. He was involved in Insidious, a couple of the Insidiouses. Um, yeah, he's um, he's probably stayed attached to Saw a bit more than James Wan has. Yeah, I uh, think he wrote a couple of them after James Wan. Yeah, left. but uh, he he was involved in. Um, Insidious, he did um, Cooties, he did um, Upgrade, and then, of course, from last year, um, oh, The Invisible, Invisible Man. Man. Yeah. Yeah. He's doing a Wolfman remake. As well, Good. Yeah. I'm on board already. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so anyway, these two go to school together um, yeah. in... Um, I want to say it's Melbourne. Um, I I don't understand Australia. I'll say that right now. People will tell me they're from somewhere in Australia and I'll be like, is that near this? And they'll be like, no, you idiot. (laughs) That to Americans too, where they're like, oh, you're from America. Have you been to these 15 places? Right. Um, Melbourne is like South eastern australia like like, yeah you know tanzania is the island Mm -hmm. it's and melbourne's like on the coast by the by the island and perth i believe is in western australia yes i knew i know a guy from perth and i learned that it's very far away from yeah um but anyway they go to school at i don't know how they say it in their you know like i want to say it armit r-m-i-t um i don't know what the the colloquial terminology is for it but it's the royal uh, melbourne institute for technology um studying that's probably something fucking weird right they're like oh actually the t is silent <laughs> <laughs> um but they he goes there and he meets lee Wano. um and they also. basically decide that they're gonna, you know, they grab they're they're working together. You know, he he won an award, um, you know, while he was still in school at some you know local film festivals for things that he was putting together. And basically, um, those two decide they're going to make a horror film that they finance themselves, um, partially inspired by one of my favorites, uh, the Blair Witch Project um they saw that saw you know the production on it how it was financed and were like oh we can do that like they just filmed it on cameras they borrowed and you know they financed it themselves so like let's do it um so they put together this script based on like like dreams and nightmares they had and like you know like just this idea of like this this opening image of waking up in a room you know tied up somehow um constrained and there being like a dead body and like not knowing how you got there which is an incredible hook yeah 
Um, and they did that partially because they were like, okay, like we don't have a lot of money. So two actors in a room, in one room the whole time. Right. Um, and they wrote the script for it and, you know, came up with whatever. I think the budget, the original budget for the film was like $30,000 or something, which even that I'm like, how did you finance that yourself? <laughs> um, yeah. Well, you're, you're talking about the original short. Yeah. Yeah. Dollars. Right. Um, so they do the original short. Um, they shop it around. It starts getting popular. I believe that is what they sent to Carrie Elways, who was like, yeah, I'm into it. Which is so funny because I'm like, did you seek him out or did you just like scatter shoot to a bunch of big name people <laughs> to see like who would, because like why Carrie Elways? You know? I feel like, so I was thinking about this and thinking about Saw and, you know, what would become the feature version of of that short and because like the cast for that first movie you know you've got Carrie Elways you also have Danny Glover Mm -hmm. you also have Monica Potter who in 2004 like all three of them like they're not A-list but like everyone knew who they were right and like 10 years earlier they were all sort of like at the height of pop culture right because Carrie Elways had, would have just done Robin Hood Men in Tights, a couple years off Princess Bride. Jenny Glover would have just done Predator 2. Yeah, they basically got like a bunch of former A-list 90s Yeah, actors. which is kind of impressive because I believe the budget for the feature was only a million dollars, which is not a lot. No, that's like what the budget, I want to say the, well, I guess the budget for Paranormal Activity was a little bit more, but it was still pretty low still i believe paranormal activity by the way most um lucrative film of all time comparing uh production budget to um gross gross it was like insane i actually think it might not even have cost them a million dollars to produce i can't remember i might be wrong yeah because they used orrin pelly's house yeah (laughs) yeah because he was like i don't think he was really anyone we're getting off on a tangent here but we can tie it back in Orrin Pelly uh, produced some later films of James Bond. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess the point being pretty impressive for two newbies to get the cast that they did yeah. on such a small budget for, yeah. for Saw. Yeah. Um, you know, and Saw obviously because of the low budget went on to be very big success um, for uh, you know what it may I'm not sure what exactly the the return on investment was but um, it did not make um, much it did not take much to to make it um, and it grossed several hundred million 1.2 million and it grossed 103.9 million so so that's that's pretty impressive yeah um so obviously after that you know studios immediately like great we want more um and saw two comes out a year later in 2005 um and Juan is like noped out at this point i think um yeah he produced and i think he gets he has a maybe he i don't know if he has a story credit on saw two um, it was written by Winnell, um, but it was yeah. directed in um, the main producer, somebody else. Um, 
is uh, Darren Bowsman, right? Yes. Yeah, no, yeah. he does not have a story credit. He has a story credit on Saw 3. On 3. He came back to produce that one. He wasn't involved at all in Saw 2. And then after Saw 3, he wasn't involved um, really after that. Um, yeah. Well, even Lee Winnell dipped out after Saw 3. Yeah. So, uh, um, but, you know, it's so according to, you know, Eli Roth's series, this is kind of what kicks off the post 9-11 torture porn um craze um because you know you talk about influential stuff of wands you know this is i think what leads to hostile which you know of course leads to martyrs and um you know we've got inside and yeah so and i would even argue like the 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 final destinations of late are pretty much like saw-esque in terms of what brutal ways can we just murder people yeah, there was there was nothing really like Saw in horror, um, you know, before two thousand and four. That was that was kind of a game changer, and it's funny because like you were saying earlier, like it's not really what we have come to regard as torture porn now. I mean, obviously, like there's some icky stuff going on in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but compared to the the later traps even within the franchise it's relatively tame and it's mostly a mystery right well because it's like if you want to talk about the the traps it's really just the one trap right like the entire time they're chained up they eventually realize he wants us to saw off our legs not saw through the chains and it becomes can they do that and then you know the reveal of the body which you know really got people um yeah you know and then after that it became like you know it's, it's interesting because it kind of reminds me of the purge and how the purge was like first film was sort of a um you know like it took one aspect of it that the audience wasn't as interested in it seemed and then the sequels were like oh you this is what you okay like then this is what we'll make yeah. and you know in the case of the purge like you know i feel that the sequels get for the most part progressively better um yeah. with some exceptions um saw you know depends on what you want for me i think the first one is still probably the the best one um but if you're somebody who loves to watch you know torture porn then obviously like you know the second third going on like you know oh yeah this is what i want to see i want to see more of like the horrible decision would you rather shit yeah, I think you're definitely right in that comparison between the two franchises, like, especially just how much the world expands in mm-hmm. each franchise's sequels and how much more. I mean, the Saw timeline and mythology and, you know, when they jump back and, and show us, oh, this was actually happening at this point and this, right. these two things are happening concurrently. Oh, and this, this guy's trap- alive. And- right, and this person and... Jigsaw had arranged for this trap to happen before and this and that or whatever. It gets kind of, why don't it get so much bigger? And there's now this whole world exists where it all really just started with two guys in a bathroom right. and a, a twisted psychopath. It's actually, what's interesting in a way, thinking about the first film in the larger context of the franchise, it's also kind of revenge porn mm-hmm. because... Jigsaw is testing, to use his word, 
Dr. Gordon for basically not treating him like a human. Right. Right. You know, spoiler alert, Jigsaw is, was Gordon's patient. He's the man on the bathroom floor. Most people know that by now. Yeah. But it's, he's, it's, that's real. That's a personal, like vendetta basically. Right. John Kramer to, well, and that, that echoes throughout the films, too, because you get people who do not necessarily things to Jigsaw, but, you but like know, around him. Yeah, around him or like, you know, there's insurance people who, you know, are like yeah. oh, buying coverage for, the, you know, he's he's doing that. So it, it, it kind of becomes a thing where it's like take whatever like bastard person you want, like the people who get put in these situations tend to be people who are you know, like had kind of skeevy jobs. So you kind of want them to feel a little bit of, of you know, you're rooting for the traps kind of. And, you know, it's it's interesting the um, world that exploded out of that first concept of, of that. But um, that was huge for James Wan. <laughs> um, and I think it's something to this day, he's still kind of, can't really get out of um, in terms of like what people expect from him. That's part of why he ended up making Insidious the way he did, but we'll get there. Um, after that, um, he makes a film in 2007 uh, entitled Dead Silence, which was also written by Lee Wanell, directed by James Wan. Um, yeah, I, 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 I saw it like once, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I haven't seen it a ton. I've seen it a couple times. So tell uh, us, tell us, give us a brief synopsis of what it's about. Sure. So Dead Silence is this uh, story of we open with this couple, um, and they're living life. They're happy. One night, a ventriloquist dummy. Uh, shows up at their door. Um, it doesn't say who it's from. Da da da. No returns and all that crap. Um, they're really chill about it. <laughs> and, we'll take that uh, immediately as a threat. Yeah, and it's like, and, and it's, of course, it's like a dark and stormy night, of course. And like they do this like thing that's only done in a horror movie, where like you know they like talk to the doll and they're like oh do 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 and like she like sets it up because she's gonna scare him while he runs out to get Chinese food or something for dinner and he comes back and finds out that his wife has been brutally murdered and uh he basically the realizes the doll is from his hometown his creepy little out of nowhere hometown um and he takes it back there to his ancestral home where his rich Raven's Fair. Raven's Fair, yeah. What the fuck? His dad lives uh, with his like new hot younger wife and they're totally estranged. And it's all connected basically to this local legend of um, Mary Shaw, who was this like turn of the century ventriloquist that... Um, was basically lynched by the town because they suspected her of uh, murdering um, some of the children and turning them into dummies. She was trying to find the perfect dummy, right? 
And so the dummy that gets sent to them in the beginning was like her main puppet, Billy, uh, which is also the name of the puppet from Saw. So James, <laughs> right. Wan, James Wan and Lee Winnell just billies and puppets everywhere. That's the theme of theirs. Um, and yeah, and basically it's, it's a supernatural, it's a ghost story. And um, there's a big twist at the end. And it's even, it's like filmed and revealed the same way that Saw's twists are. Mm -hmm. you know with a lot of like that quick fast camera work and we see the flashbacks as we piece together oh these are all the clues and this is what was really happening so it feels very much like saw um in atmosphere and filming style and like even narratively um that being said it wasn't super well received the dialogue's kind of wonky at points it doesn't make the most sense but it's decently creepy mm-hmm. uh, puppets too yeah puppets which is valley strikes again of wands because there's obviously billy the puppet in saw mm-hmm. who becomes sort of the mascot of that franchise there's this different billy the ventriloquist dummy in dead silence and then in the conjuring and it's expanded universe, we get Annabelle. So creepy dolls are a big thing of his. Um, And I believe that he actually makes the dolls himself. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's a hobby. It's it's a choice. Yeah. Um, So yeah, Dead Silence, I would say it's a clear... You see him flexing his muscles as a director, um, but it's also like obviously his sophomore effort. Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of pulling some old tricks that he did with Saw with the twists and, and the style and the camera work, um, but they don't work quite as well. Mm-hmm. So then I feel like by the time we get to his third film, which was Death Sentence, um, he's a bit more comfortable in his style and like really figured out what he's good at um which results in his fourth film insidious like knocking it out of the park did you see death sentence i have not actually seen death sentence okay we'll we'll just say that happens and move on (laughs) like parts of it here Mm. and there and i've i was reading about it for this episode but i can't actually say all that much more about it. it's not super horror-y i don't think no and i think it was also um kind of received lukewarm as at best um but yeah so in 2010 in specifically um well i guess it was spring 2011 um it came out in 2010 like in this the um uh like film festival circuit, um, but was released in the United States in spring of 2011. Um, basically, you know, it's a complete like, like stylistic change from Saul, I would say, um, and stuff that, that came before it. It's very, very atmospheric. It's very, um, you know, like a, 
somebody explained it to me once this way and like it's just always stuck in my mind that the the design and like sort of feel of insidious is literally like you're inside somebody's nightmare um the entire movie um and basically he did that because he wanted to kind of distance himself from like the tortured porn of Saul even though he you know at this point wasn't really involved with Saul anymore like his name is obviously still attached to it and now it's become like kind of the big like you know thing about the traps and and the killing brutal ways and that sort of thing so he makes insidious um which was written by Lee Wanell um once again and directed by uh James Wan um Oren Pelly is the producer on this um who became famous for um paranormal activity and then Jason Bloom also um is one of the other big producers on this as well. Um, Finding some heavy hitters. I mean, now they're all heavy hitters, you know? Right. Well, and, you know, it's this is his first um, collaboration with uh, Patrick Wilson, you know, who will go on to star in a ton more of, of James Wan's films. Um, also in there is Rose Byrne. Um, I love Rose Byrne. <laughs> she's she's so good she's so good like she's, just in general or in this i don't disagree either way in in general in this in particular she's amazing she is she's the epitome of like kind of that that meme-ish thing people have been doing lately about like so-and-so always understands the assignment mm-hmm. rose burn unironically always understands the assignment right she will either like have your side splitting with laughter in bridesmaids Mm-hmm. Or she will like emotionally like connect you to the deepest part of your soul and something like insidious. <laughs> or, like, like she's just, she always knocks it out of the park. I love yeah. Rose Byrne. No, she's I great in this. She, um, yeah. she and Patrick Wilson play husband and wife. Um, they um, move into a new, you know, it's a classic. They've moved into a new house. Um, you know, some weird shit's happening. And then one day their son um, will all like explore the house. He's hearing noises, shit's kind of weird. Um, he falls into a coma. Um, and this lasts for months. Um, and basically um, stuff continues. They hear crap on the baby monitor. You know, it's classic, um, you know, poltergeist haunted house stuff. It's escalating. There's the terrifying shot of the red face. I don't even know if the red face character definitely has a name, right? Um, yeah. Hold on. It, oh, yeah. It's the lipstick face demon. Yeah. Fucking horrifying. Yeah. It's the one that looks like Darth Maul. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's Darth- that. And eventually they, you know... Um, Consult an expert who, you know, it's so funny because I feel like in anything else, this would have been a huge shark jump moment. But at this point, when the reveal happens halfway through the film, like what's going on? I was like, you know what? I'm in this 100%. Um, Basically what's revealed is the son is not in a coma. He has the ability to astral project himself into this sort of supernatural dream realm uh called the further and he is now he's been doing it in his dreams all his life and now he's gone too far and doesn't know how to get back to his body and he's trapped there um and all of this is revealed to us through the great lynn shay 
Yes. <laughs> as Who the psychic. comes back many times in sequels as, as this character. Yeah, she well. becomes the face of this franchise. <laughs> yeah. Um, and basically, they, you know, it's revealed that um, Patrick Wilson, who plays dad, um, had this ability as well. He had a similar situation happen. Um, they basically, you know, did something when he was a kid to, to you know, repress his memories of it and kind of take the ability away. Because, um, you know, there's this creepy reveal about this woman who's showing up in all these pictures and it's very freaky. And basically... Um, he has to then go into this this netherworld to go get his son, and and um, it ends on on a. It's not a. I'll just say it's it's over when it's over. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, I mean there are three sequels. Yeah, um, terrifying, terrifying movie. Um, also love to watch it. <laughs> um, oh yeah, it's great. It's it's brilliant. It's. Like you said, this it's very stylized, right? To get it's really that really stylized. There's crazy nightmare sound effects. music cues. Yeah, nightmare effects. The lighting, um, which I'm gonna try and look real quick for who did the music for Insidious. Uh, Joseph Bashara. Oh, Joseph Bashara. Okay, because um, who also played the uh, lipstick based demon. Yeah, and he also does the music for the Conjuring movies. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking because um, Juan's original partner for music for Saw was Charlie uh, Closer, who um, sort of the famous song from Saw, Hello Zep, that plays at the end of every Saw movie now when like the twist is revealed has become very, very iconic. Um, I don't know that anything from Insidious I would call iconic, but it's definitely like a perfect fit for the movie, mm-hmm. you know? So like Juan knows how to select the right people and he knows the, he knows the importance of music and sound. Yeah. And I think we see that very, very much in Insidious. Yeah. So Insidious is a great comeback. Um, you know, really sets the tone for what's coming next you know he starts working with patrick wilson who becomes a very frequent collaborator um with juan um and basically in 2013 um the release of the conjuring happens Woo! um which i would say was a pretty big i mean the Conjuring was a big deal. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about The Conjuring? Yeah, I mean, if you don't know, or yeah. if you like not listened to this show before, um, we've got a whole episode where we talk about The Conjuring universe. Do check it out. Mm-hmm. But the... What began with just this one film was um, the story of um, a real life haunting in um, fucking Connecticut. Uh, that sounds right. Rhode it's Island. Definitely... It's Rhode Island. It's definitely somewhere in New England. Did you say Rhode Island? Rhode Island. The 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 the, the what should the Lord the um. The Warrens are from Connecticut. This takes place. The Warrens are from Connecticut. Yeah. So there. 
so yeah, it's the haunting of the Perrin family, um, which was a supposed real life haunting that was investigated by self-proclaimed uh, demonologist, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, controversial figures. Um, some people view them as grifters and con artists. Some people view them as genuine um, psychic medium and demonologists trying to help. Maybe they were both, who's to say? Um, but they were involved in a lot of uh, real life hauntings. And this was one of them. The Conjuring is their first cinematic adventure. Uh, Patrick Wilson is there as Ed. Uh, Vera Farmiga is there as Lorraine. And it was a big deal. It was a, um, a haunted house movie that was also um, a period piece. Mm -hmm. And that was um, a witch movie. There was, there's an occult angle. Um, as we figure out what's going on. And it was really risky basically to do a, a big movie like this that would involve a possession in a haunted house with major studio backing because movies like that are always in the shadow of The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. And so basically since 1973, if you wanna make a possession movie, you have to do it on a smaller scale because a major studio doesn't want to take a gamble. Um, but uh, is, was it, it was Warner Brothers, right? Yeah. Universal. So who did Conjuring? <laughs> um, whoever took the gamble. It was I, uh, New Line Cinema. And it was Warner, Warner, Brothers, Warner Brothers distributed it. Warner Brothers, okay. So basically Warner Brothers taking the gamble. Um, paid off in spades because this movie made a shit ton of money. Yeah. A shit ton of money. Um, and solidified with the success of Insidious that James Wan was the golden child of horror cinema right now. Um, and at this point, um, regardless of what the soft franchise has become, the influence and the significance of the first one um, are is held in really high regard. So he is essentially now basically given a blank check. And they're like, please do more of this, but also in exchange, you can do whatever you want. Next. Yeah. Um, and I believe what he does immediately after The Conjuring uh, is Insidious Chapter 2? Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Because that came out the same year. Right. Okay. Or, yes. Yeah. It came out the same year. Yeah. Because I want to say The Conjuring was in the spring and in Ch and City Chapter 2 was in the fall. Yes. You are correct. Um, so Chapter 2 sees everybody come back, um, all the major players from the first one. Uh, it does fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say for... It's like a lore building. Yeah. 
type film like it it goes back to build on more of like the reveal of like the mid film reveal of the first one and kind of talk more to the hidden past uh, and that sort of thing yeah and um yeah pretty i mean i think critically it didn't maybe do so well but no i think it was still a major financial success so that's yeah this is um this is i mean insidious is still in the top 25 for horror franchises yeah i mean people turned out for this i mean people wanted to not only was insidious a success but Conjuring as a success, James Wan has kind of become a name now. So people are like, oh, he's doing Insidious Chapter 2. What's up? What's it going to be? Right. Um, And it doesn't quite land as well, but it's still successful enough. And it's um, still opens the door for more Insidious films. Uh, But at this point, Wan removes himself much as he did with Saw. Um, he's not involved I don't think he's involved in any way with either Insidious Chapter 3 or Insidious The Last Key no he's not okay so he steps away um, because at this point he is he's gotten an offer for his first I guess technically his second non-horror film Um, and it's not something like standalone and small, like death sentence. It's something major um, for part of a huge, well-known action movie franchise that still to this day is going. And um, that's 2015's Furious 7, yes. the seventh entry in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, I have nothing against that franchise per se, but I definitely have not seen Furious 7. I don't know if you have. I did because I was working at a movie theater when it came out. (laughs) And I was often, I was working at the movie tavern. So I was basically like waiting on people who were in um, the theater. And I often had to do Furious 7. And the amount of times I have seen um, that final shot where the song plays and the Mm. two of them are driving i will say it does it does you know i was like i don't you know i haven't i've seen the first two fast and furious films and after that i didn't watch anymore but i was like you know what i was like it's emotional it gets me but yeah no i i've seen i i saw enough pieces of it while i was serving in those to have um seen it it's fine i don't give a shit about those films i have friends who are way into it and who will talk about them as perfect action films and what have you i mean you know for somebody who wants to do action movies like what a gift to be given to basically you know something in in fast and furious franchise and he definitely had um his work cut out for him with obviously the um tragedy during the production where paul walker was killed in a car accident and they hadn't really finished filming yet um so he had to find a way to believably have this main character like one of the two main characters in the franchise exit and to find a way to do it um after he had passed away and could not 
film anymore. Um, and it was good. I mean, they did a good job. They used a mixture of archived footage. Um, his brother was a body stand-in. Um, so it's fine. Yeah, I remember, you know, people being really like appreciative and um, sort of a lot of praise was given at the time. Like, wow, this was really well handled given the awful circumstances. And like, I remember people really liking that movie. I just, you know, I think I've seen the first three and then it was like, all right, I'm, I got it. I'm good. Yeah, well, now they're like going to space and stuff, so I don't... Right, now, now there's nine of them. So there were <laughs> two after the one that Juan did. Um, but I think maybe what's important for us is that... Uh, it, it was kind of a big deal for someone working exclusively in horror to then be given an action movie like this for a very successful franchise. Right. And I mean, that's a huge expensive franchise. That's not, yeah, you know. that's, I mean, you know, Conjuring and Insidious, you know, are big horror franchises, but they still don't have like the kind of budget that he would have been working with for those versus Furious 7 is like, you know, yeah. a handful of sand versus like, couple fucking barrels of it yeah. you know um yeah and he did well which i think was was is really good for him because if he didn't then that may have been like a major roadblock for his career right yeah no it went it went great um well received you know the charlie puth song made everyone cry um and right after that, he goes on to um, write, direct, and produce uh, The Conjuring 2. Hey, yeah. Um, which, you know, not as, like, shockingly impactful in the way that the first Conjuring was, but makes a shit ton of money, is very good. I think it may be his best. Yeah. Um, it comes out in 2016 and it's based on another case, um, you know, Ed and Lorraine Warren. This one takes place in Enfield, England, um, with kind of this case that I guess like people who follow this stuff call like the, um, the sort of like English, you know, the, their version of the exorcist basically was, was this case. Um, and they tie it in really well to the first movie and it ties into obviously Ed and Lorraine's most famous case that the, the films don't really want to touch too much because for obvious reasons, um, it's family the horror case. Um, right. Difficult to, to tackle in a, you know, any sort of cinematic way. Um, everyone's back, Ed, you know, Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson come back as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, Joseph Bashara is playing demons again, as well as doing the score. Yeah. He also plays a demon. Um, and this introduces the nun. Yes, yes. Yeah, that was a huge, was a, the nun was fucking freaky in this. Um, Val, yeah. I guess was the name of the, the demon, but yes, the nun that everyone oh, yeah. knows all about is introduced in this uh, in a very creepy painting. Oh. Ed paints and he's like, yeah, I just woke up and, you know, had this dream. So I painted this painting and I was like, oh my God, get that out of your house. But um, 
and yeah. be like, and then burn it, literally burn it, burn it, take it outside and set it on fire in your yard. Um, but Conjuring okay. 2, another huge financial and critical success. Um, it already has spinoff stuff. They, you know, this is the first time they announced that they're doing. Well, did did this? This is after Annabelle, right? This is after Annabelle, I do believe. I'm not sure if it's before um, Annabelle creation or not. It, yeah, I don't know because he wasn't involved in Annabelle or Annabelle creation. Right. Um, I so say I, Annabelle was 2015. So I think this then would have been after Annabelle. So, yeah, so they're doing spinoffs of this now. They're like developing the Conjuring universe. Um, they talk about off of this, they're going to do um, a spinoff about The Nun, which eventually becomes The Nun, which James <laughs> Wan, <laughs> it's called The Nun, uh, does the story for and serves as a producer on. Um, yet to be made, but still in sort of development and talks is the untitled movie about the crooked man um, that James Wan seems to be interested in doing, which is a character that's introduced The Conjuring 2 briefly as a very creepy demon type entity that lives in a sort of old fashioned, um, those things have a name. The, the, the music box type thing? Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's some sort of, you spin it and, and it, uh, a zoetrope. Right. That's what it's they're like, that's, Yeah, a zoetrope. And does a little dance thing and has a creepy yeah. song, of course. Yeah, Again, so. creepy songs coming up in Juan's films. <laughs> um, so he does The Nun um, directly after this. I think his at this point he launches his own studio, Atomic Monster Productions, which is sort of an imprint mm. of New Line Cinema. And they are the ones that are producing Annabelle. They produce the theatrical off film version of Lights Out, which was a very uh, successful horror short on the internet. Um, they also, this is the company that's producing The Curse of La Llorona um, and as well as the third Conjuring movie. So things that- And then now, right? Yes. So some of these things are things that stuff is, Juan is not directly involved in, some he is, but basically this is his, um, his, his own production company. Yeah. Um, so then after this, he would go on to produce um, a like smaller, um, you know, after Lights Out and all that stuff comes out through Atomic Productions. He was the producer on a um, video on demand release horror film entitled Demonic. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you saw that at all. I can't remember. Okay. I haven't seen it. Real quick right now. I have not seen it. I don't think I've seen it. And I don't have my my master list on hand. It seems to be another haunted house um, story. Um, and Maria Bellows in it. Yeah. But... Um, so that comes out basically, you know, a lot of various conjuring uh, and conjuring adjacent sequels come out. And meanwhile, the thing that he's really focusing on is uh, Aquaman. Right. Um, which I have not seen. Have you seen Aquaman? I've not. Um, don't, 
particularly care about Aquaman as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I see it, I see it, but I wouldn't go out of my way really to check it out. Um, yeah, it's it's his ninth film. It comes out in 2018. Um, it's part of, uh, you know, DC's um, extended universe of films to connect their superheroes, like MCU style. Um, Jason Momoa's there. Wilson, <laughs> Patrick Wilson also comes back. Patrick Wilson. If you can believe it, Jason Momoa's brother. Right. His half-brother, but his brother. And everyone says, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but isn't also, um, isn't like Nicole Kidman his mom? Yes, Nicole Kidman is his mom. Um, and everyone again was like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, because she had an affair with whoever ended up being his dad. The dad. Um, who is the dad? I don't. I think he's he's the character is dead by the time of. Um, oh, so he's not in the movie. Yeah, gotcha. we just know that he he's a guy that exists. Yeah, so it's I believe it's the first big screen adaptation for the Aquaman character. Um, I could be wrong. I apologize if I am. I'm not super well versed in Aquaman. Um, oh, you it, know who played his dad was um, Tamora Derek Morrison, uh, who plays Jason Momoa's dad. Yeah, who uh, is um, Django Fett. Oh yeah, yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Anyway, he's not really. I believe he. Um, he's not, not really, really in it too much, but. Well, he's great. He's a good actor. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and it does it does very well. It makes over a billion dollars. Um, again, it's a it's another really important um, stepping stone, I guess, for Juan. Um, you know, he's he proved himself with the big action franchise with Serious Seven. Now he's taking on a superhero thing, which is basically kind of like um, I don't want to say it's like. It's like as high as you can go in the current standards of Hollywood is to be given a superhero movie mm-hmm. to direct. And I mean that only because it plays with the most money. And right. from a studio perspective, it has the most at stake because a superhero movie must succeed. Um, and it does. Uh, I'm not sure, I mean, critically, I don't know. I, I know that it makes a ton of money. I think it was fine. I don't, you know. I, I, it, it seemed to have been fine. Yeah. Like I got basically a similar response to like um, Insidious where it wasn't like this is critically, technically well done. It was like, oh yeah, it was really entertaining and a good story and one, you know, that kind of thing. Which, you know, okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and... Great, and that is actually the last film that he has directed um, that has been released, I guess we should say. Yeah. Um, He, of course, as Ms. Mel was saying, um, is producing and executive producing and and even some story developing, I believe, for (laughs) um, the most recent Conjuring movie uh, this year's 
Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It. Um, I, I, he might have produced on that. He, executive. he was a producer on it and he um, helped develop the story. Yeah, okay. So he does that. Um, Curse of La Llorona, he produces on. He produces on Annabelle Come Home. He produces for um, the Mortal Kombat movie from this year. And um, basically uh, in the time since 2018, yeah, he's doing a lot of behind the scenes stuff, but he's also um, quietly directing um, both a new, um, very shrouded in secrecy little horror movie and um, a big uh, blockbuster follow-up to Aquaman. Um, that will be coming out next year, but uh, his new horror movie titled Malignant will be coming out this year. Yes. On September 10th. Hey, that's Blair Witch. And you'll be seeing Blair Witch Project. Yeah, so I'll see it the next day. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's very, it's very under wraps. I know it's based on one of Juan's graphic novels, but even that I, you know, I'm like, was this graphic novel ever um, published? Because I'm not seeing anything about it. I don't know. Um, I, I don't think so though. Yeah. Um, oh, it was his, his graphic novel entitled Malignant Man, which came out in, April 2011, so I'm sure people have copies of it somewhere. Um, but it, it seems to have come out a, a long while ago. Okay, so I'm trying to find, like, what do we know about the graphic novel? Right. Let's see. Yeah, because there hasn't even been a um, trailer for it or anything. I know you know it's going to be one of those things where like we're going to be saying right now oh there's no trailer we don't know that but then like they'll release a trailer like tomorrow right by the time this episode is up like everyone will be talking about it okay this is the synopsis on Goodreads for the Malignant Man graphic novel All right. by James Wan and Michael Allen Nelson a hot new graphic novel thriller from the creator and director of Saw, James Wan. Alan Gates, a cancer patient with a terminal diagnosis, okay, another recurring theme mm -hmm. for James Wan, mm -hmm. is resigned to his fate until he discovers that his tumor is actually a mysterious parasite. Granted a second lease on life and incredible otherworldly powers, Alan must fight against an evil army buried beneath society's skin, all the while unlocking the secrets of his forgotten past dark, twisted, and unique. Malignant Man is a sci-fi thriller that cannot be missed. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it sounds like, Miss Mel, you might be in for it because I'm guessing body horror. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Maybe it's a good thing I'm seeing Blair Witch that night. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, we don't, we don't know too much of us at it. I haven't even seen really any like pictures or anything, um, but there's gotta be something soon because we're nearing the end of July and it comes out in September, so. Right. 
So there's that. Um, in addition, um, he his production company will be producing um, an adaptation of the Tommyknockers, which hey talks to direct, but I don't think anything's really been decided on that. Also being produced there is the adaptation of There's Someone Inside Your House, which was a slash novel that I never read, but like came out while I was working at a bookstore and was like staring at me. Like every time I, I, I shelved it. Yeah, those that's one of those ones where um, every time it pops up, I'm like, oh yeah, I should, I should try that. Right. And then for whatever reason in the moment, don't. Right. Um, he is signed on to direct for Amazon, a uh, television adaptation of I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes. Um, he's also, I just watched the original. You did. <laughs> he's also directing, I think this is also for Amazon, a television adaptation of um, an Italian horror comic series called Dylan Dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's that. And then he also is working as a producer on a Frankenstein remake. I remember seeing that. Yeah. Which that should be pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be excited about. And then there's some other random projects that like are still in like development hell that perhaps one day we will, um, we'll see the light of day. <laughs> we'll see the light of day. Yeah. I mean, he's, um, he's like one of the it guys now, you know, I feel like everyone's trying to snatch him up for something because Oh, you know what else? He's not involved with it, but the, the Insidious 5 is happening and Patrick Wilson is directing it. Interesting. I think, I think Juan is producing it. Has Patrick Wilson directed before? I, I, do not, I don't think so. I mean, I think if he takes what he's learned from like working under directors like James Wan, right. that could be good. Yeah, so I'm into it. I'll see it. Uh, it is crazy to think, though, like Insidious 5. What the hell is left? Right. Well, I wonder, too. I was like, is Patrick Wilson also writing it? Like, Oh, that'd be interesting. But um, Oh, it looks like um, it will focus on the grown-up son now going to college. Oh okay so that's the the idea gotcha gotcha yeah. so yeah james wand is like wand james wand is like uh you know it's interesting to you know it's one of those things where i feel like there's a couple directors who kind of like start off with a bang like that like you have um uh, m night Shyamalan, you know who who starts off huge you know everyone wants him for things and then sophomore efforts aren't that great and I think M. Night Shyamalan didn't necessarily start bouncing back from that until very recently um yeah whereas you have somebody like James Wan who you know got very famous and you know critically acclaimed very quickly out of film school had some stumbles and then just completely um sort of course corrected and 
Yeah. And he's so interesting because he's kind of carving this new path where he's doing mainstream Hollywood blockbuster type stuff and still finding room for his roots, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, to come back and do things like Malignant and a Frankenstein reboot and what have you while, right. while you know, whatever, playing around with Aquaman and race car people or <laughs> whatever the hell. Right. Fast yeah. <laughs> um, and there's not really a, he's kind of the only director doing that right now. Right, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting because you hear, you know, you think of horror directors and like you have, um, I believe Ari Aster has said after um, Midsummer he wants to stop doing horror for a while. Right. But, you know, it's, also like, it's like, well, what does that look like until it happens? You know what I mean? You know? Exactly. There also hasn't, that's the thing, like nothing's happened yet. Aster hasn't done another project. Right. So who's to say and and a lot of times when directors get started in horror and then step away they usually don't ever step back mm-hmm. um i mean like and this has happened with major major directors uh, scorsese spielberg um peter jackson all got started in horror um but it was it was something that was very much you know the first part of their career um and once they sort of become, uh, they don't go back. But I think it's also maybe speaking to the genre being a bit, like slowly being a bit more well-regarded critically, mm-hmm. um, clawing its way to earn res- as much respect as other genres. And James Wan is kind of a part of that. So I think it's appropriate that he gets to do both. Yeah. Yeah, no, I... Um... Pretty much anything if you tell me James Walton's doing it. Like the, him, it's Mike Flanagan. Like there's certain people where it's like, if you tell me they're doing this, then I will probably go see it. Um, but yeah, director deep dive. Yeah. So in terms of his upcoming stuff, what are you most looking forward to? Um, I mean, I think I like the, you know, it's interesting because we're in a period now where I feel like slasher TV has become a thing. Yeah. You know, with the Scream series and obviously slasher on Netflix. Um, you know, I know that Fear Street were films, but you could make a, an argument that they kind of played like, you know, TV in the way that we were consuming them. Um so I don't know. I'm excited for the I Know What You Did Last Summer. I don't love remakes of those things. Um, you know, traditionally, like, I mean, there's some things where it's like, oh, yeah, like, this wasn't that bad. Like, you did some interesting stuff with it. Um, but I tend to just like the original so much that it's hard for me to um, really get behind remakes on stuff. But I would be interested to yeah. see what it looks like as a TV series because, um I don't know, it's interesting because it's like seeing slasher TV now, it's like, oh, of course the slasher is perfect for the television format. Perfect for it. So I think I'm, I'm most excited about that. What about you? Um, not to copy you, like a copycat no. killer, but <laughs> I am, I'm most excited for that too. Um, namely because he, 
it'll be a couple firsts for him. Like it'll be his real first foray into television as well as slashers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've seen him kind of start torture porn for lack of a, a better argument. We've seen him do supernatural possession, demonic-y things, conjuring and insidious. Um, and we're gonna see him, I guess, do some body horror. Uh, this will be fun to see him do slasher and also a pre-existing like world mm -hmm. uh, which he did with Fast and the Furious and Aquaman but never in horror where he was usually like going off of original stories so that'll also be interesting so I would say I'm also excited for that series yeah yeah Good stuff. I don't think there's, oh, they do, they have a cast for it and everything. Okay. Oh, good. Um, do they have a date? They do not have a date, but they have filming. Okay, so it looks like they're still filming. Um, filming began in January in Hawaii. So, happening now. So, happening now. Great. Um, Big fan already. <laughs> no, this is going to be. Uh, do I know any of these actors? No, but you know, whatever. Are they all like they're kids? Like, yeah, they're teenagers. Um, well, at least it's teenagers playing teenagers. Yeah, I mean, this, well, it's like early 20s playing teenagers. Um, I mean, like Madison Iceman is in it. And she um, was in the Jumanji, the recent 2017 Jumanji. I think it was the sequel to the first new Jumanji that came out. I can't remember. She was in right. one of the newer Ghost Bumps movies and she was in Annabelle Comes Home. Okay. She's the top build person, so good for her. Um, and she's got some like spooky background yeah. stuff on her resume. Brianne Ashley Tejou, who was in Scream, the TV series, is also in it. Um, she's also a Disney Channel kid. <laughs> what <laughs> TV series? Oh, she was in 47 Meters Down, Uncaged. Oh, hey, uh, We, no, wait. That's a sequel. That's the sequel. We watched the first one for a booze and booze. We did. Um, yeah, and so there's some other people in here, Ezekiel Goodman, Ashley Moore, Sebastian Amoruso, Fiona Renee, Casey Beck, Brooke Bloom, and Bill Heck, that's the main um, cast, and then there's some reoccurring people in Sonia Balmores, Spencer Sutherland, and Chrissy Fitt. Well, interesting. That'll be that'll be cool to see how that story gets updated for, you know, 2022, 21, 22, whenever it comes out, um, and what Juan does with that. Because, you know, the original movie is so very 90s and so specific as a, a slasher immediately in the wake of Scream. So... I'm curious to see how that'll be tweaked um, this time around. Right. It's interesting because from what I can tell, just there's not much on here, but it looks like the original took place in California, right? Uh, yeah. 
This I, one is I'm taking sure. place in Hawaii, it looks like. Like it's filming in Hawaii and one of the characters in it is a Hawaiian surfer. Like one of the actors who's, who's in it is a known Hawaiian surfer. Interesting. So I don't know what that means, but we'll find out. <laughs> but we're about to find out. I wonder if that's, that's kind of funny. Like, you know, I'm thinking of the original film which came out like the year after Scream. And now we're having this series and a new Scream movie comes out in January. Right. So it's like, we're in that, we're in the 90s slasher uh, reboot heyday again. Kind of with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Nice. Cool. Well, I guess that's going to wrap up our first director deep dive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, the great James Wan. What are your thoughts on him? What are your thoughts on his filmography? What are you looking forward to on his upcoming projects? Did we totally misfire on some of our opinions about his movies? That's, you can disagree. That's fine. Um, you just have to find us on the right platform to tell us. And Miss Mel will let you know where you can find us. Sure, sure. So you can tweet at us at splatterchatter666 minus all the vowels. At this point, you know the drill on that. You can email us at splatterchatter669 at gmail.com. We finally have the Instagram working again, by which I mean I had to make a new one, uh, which we tweeted out. um, And that's just splatter underscore chatter. You can find some stuff there. Um, you can find us on Tumblr at splatterchatter.tumblr.com. You can hit up the blog at splatter-chatter.com. Um, yeah, I think I got all the, the contact points. What else you yeah. got? Um, you can also support the show through our Patreon at patreon.com slash splatterchatter666. Um, you get all kinds of cool stuff if you want to show us some financial support. And of course, um, we would love a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. That's probably really the best way you can show your support and keep us popping up in the various algorithms. Now, um, as we close out episode 88, do look forward to um, a return, not to Camp Crystal Lake, but a jaunt and a journey down the Hudson to New York, baby, as next month we take on Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan. One of the wildest entries in the franchise, but <laughs> you wouldn't believe not the wildest no, entry no. in the franchise. Um, yes, it's our next Friday the 13th special. And um, as always, It'll be a rocking good time as Jason slices and dices. Mm-hmm. So until uh, we head to the Big Apple, we want to tell you guys that uh, you should always be keeping up the creep. And for now, we will say au revoir. Adios. Das Vidal.